Dotnet Rocks episode 799 with guest Phil Trelford. Recorded live Friday, August 24th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl, it's Richard. We're having fun. I'm always having fun. It's been a crazy couple of weeks, but I'm not complaining. It's better than having a real job. Hey, uh, the next show, show 800. Yeah. We still don't know what we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, these zero, zero shows come up every year now. It's a problem uh, with doing 104 podcasts a year. Yeah. So we may end up talking to each other. We may end up having a, sort of a call-in show. We don't really know. Yeah. We're playing with the idea. We're going to do it right up to the last minute because that's what makes it fun. Uh, but we'll have fun with it. We've, yeah. I've looked back over the other zero, zero shows and some really worked and some really didn't. Some didn't. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> but we'll, we'll do mm. something. All right. Well, anyway, let's get right into Better Know a Framework. All right. What do you got, my friends? Well, I found a great little uh, tool on CodePlex. You know the Coding for Fun guys. Yeah. Well, Coding for Fun published the toolkit for Windows Phone oh. on CodePlex. And it's pretty cool. And it's Coding for the number four, fun.codeplex.com. And they have, I don't know, maybe 20 controls or so, maybe not quite 20, and um, some converters and some uh, a binding helper and data helpers. Huh. There's screenshots. Just go take a look at it. It's really fun. There's a color slider and a color picker. There are pop-ups and buttons and all sorts of cool stuff for Windows Phone. Interesting. Who knew? Who knew? I just got my hands on a Samsung Focus 2 last night, so I'm playing with the latest. And is it as good as the uh, Nokia? Uh, The judge is still out on that one. Give me a couple of days, because I sure do love my Nokia. Yeah, me too. Well, Richard, who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off of show 777, and that's the one we did with Venkat Subramaniam. Yeah. When he was talking about thinking functionally. Loved it. And this is a comment by a fellow named Omar from Libya. Because I just love sending mugs to strange parts of the world. Uh, and Omar says, what a show. Awesome show, guys. I was listening to it while jogging today, and I heard Venkat talking about making disposable objects the functional way. Yep. Making sure that the resources are always released, and how we don't have to make objects out of classes to use them, and that maybe rethink how I think about programming. And the concept fascinated me. I couldn't stop thinking about it while jogging until I got home. I fired up Studio and started munching code like a maniac. And I wrote a blog post about it. And this is on a site called nerddiaries.me. So I'll provide a link to the post because it's uh, it's from, back from June, which is when we posted uh, 777. And it's an implementation of some of Venkat's ideas about functional programming and about uh, self-disposing objects. Wow, that's awesome. So, uh, and uh, Omar finishes off with amazing show. Thanks and keep them coming. So, Omar, thank you, sir. Great blog post. Uh, happy to include in the show for people to have more evidence of Venkat's brilliance. And a mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a Donnet Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at donnetrocks.com. 
And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. Over 250 hardcore video courses authored by MVPs and industry experts such as those you hear on this program. They release 12 to 15 new courses a month. They have a free 10-day trial, 200 minutes of access to the library, a wide range of developer training topics including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much everything on the Microsoft stack, including a great course on understanding async and await in C-sharp 4.5. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let me introduce our esteemed guest today, Phil Trelford. Phil's a UK-based developer with over 20 years of development experience from video games to financial software. Come to think of it, financial software is a big video game, isn't it? <laughs> These <Sure>. days it is. <laughs> <laughs> he codes F-sharp. I've seen some of that stuff. It's crazy. He codes F-sharp and C-sharp in his day job. Phil's a regular speaker and blogger and the co-organizer of the London F-sharp user group and an F-sharp MVP. Welcome to the show. Hi. Glad to be here. So there's a new F-sharp. There sure is. Uh, if you've got an MSDN license, you can start playing with it uh, the full release now. And even if you don't, you can play with a release candidate. And uh, tell us what you love about F-Sharp 3.0. Uh, wow. So F-Sharp 3 is got a huge uh, number of improved features. I think the, the biggest thing is IntelliSense. They've really worked hard to make that a lot better, and uh, there's features that involve IntelliSense. So now you can uh, connect up to a web service or a database or um, even Excel and mm. have IntelliSense over um, that data without even having to do code generation. Wow. So how, how is IntelliSense different? in F-sharp than in C-sharp? Is there, is there any particular challenge that a functional language puts on Intellis IntelliSense? Well, um, the, the C-sharp uh, IntelliSense has always been excellent. And I think with F-sharp 3, we're, we're, we've reached sort of parity at that point. And then uh, the team have gone beyond that and uh, introduced a new feature called Type Providers, uh, which allow you to not only access or get tele IntelliSense on uh, pro programming language constructs, but also on uh, metadata from databases yeah. and beyond, and, and even other programming languages or, or on other platforms. So the metadata might be the parameters of a query or the structure of a of a of a data stream or something like that. Absolutely, yeah. So you can do that with um, code generation, but we can skip out of that step and just wow. go straight to the data. It just now, happens. Um, the, the, one of the reasons why that's been done is uh, if we take like a huge data structure, say uh, the free base um, knowledge base, are you aware of that on the internet? Oh, man, I'm having flashbacks from the 70s here. Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> Freebasing, yeah? <laughs> but we're looking at freebase.org um, yeah. here, which has got um, relationships uh, all the way back to the 70s and beyond, um, but, but all sorts of data. And if you were to co-gen that, you would probably exceed the memory of the machine. 
uh, with the well, yeah, F sharp and big data go together. Can, that's uh, what, give you that's why you use a functional you language. You have lots of data. around that data uh, on demand. Yeah. So it, 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 dynamic is the only way to do it, is what you're saying. In some scenarios. When, when, you, when you're looking at big data, yeah. and I think that's where we're all starting to look these days. Um, exactly, yeah. And I think it's it's really, really interesting for that sort of mashup scenario. So let's say you've got um your boss has asked you to correlate a bunch of information. You've got some data on SQL Server, you've got some out on the World Bank, you've got others in an Excel spreadsheet. You can just uh just put in sort of the query strings, the 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 locators to those uh those data sources and start pressing dot navigating around them, uh, put the values together, do your calculation, and plot a chart. And, and instead of it taking days, would literally within a few minutes, you can have that result. That's exciting, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's very exciting. And uh, also, it, you said it provides metadata from different data sources. Those could be OData services or web services or entity data models. Absolutely. Like just about anything. Yeah. And uh, it's not limited at the moment. Um, there are the more common data sources have been provided by the F-Sharp team, as you've already mentioned. Um, but the uh, community have been able to create a bunch of other um, providers, and we'll see more and more of that. And you can create your own uh, type providers. So, for example, uh, one that came up very recently was for the R programming language, which is... Um, the one I'm talking about here is the statistical um, programming language and not the one for pirates, um, which is also called R. Um, but yeah. uh, R is really popular in, um, in statistical analysis, which is, is a good fit for the kind of functional area. Yeah. And you can get it to plot charts for you. You can use all of its statistic functions. It's uh, really popular in that kind of financial setting. The um uh I also noticed that we have nullable types now. There were there weren't nullable types in F sharp too. Um, so there was a way to do nullable in a different way, um, but um, with F sharp, the default is types are not nullable all the way through. So a lot of those null errors you get in C sharp, you just don't experience unless you're calling C sharp code and you would um, define nullability inside F sharp by using an option type and then you would have to explicitly if you wanted to um, access a option you'd have to say I, I want to get the value of that option and um, that that saves perhaps um, maybe 30 percent of, of runtime errors mm. Uh, but when we're interoperating with C-sharp code, the uh, nullables um, there for you. It seems more and more that just trying to make F-sharp a general-purpose language. Like, uh, well, F-sharp is an excellent general-purpose language. Really? Uh, absolutely. Um, so the, the myth is that F-sharp is a, a functional language or a purely functional language. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a multi-paradigm language. So you have got um, object-orientated and imperative capabilities there as well. So 
you can think of C sharp also being a, a multi paradigm language with um, functional elements put in. For sure. I guess the, this is something yeah. that Venkat was talking about. It's like you don't have to use F sharp to program functionally, program in C sharp. Mm-hmm. It's just a style. Mm. But um, you can actually um, do really um, good object oriented programming inside F sharp. And actually, a lot of the time, I find myself preferring F-sharp for OO programming wow. over C-sharp. And um, th- there are a number of constructs that you have inside um, F-sharp that just make it easier, the record type, um, discriminative union. And they kind of push you perhaps in, I think, in a more uh, a better OO place. So if you're doing OO right, for me, it's all about composition over inheritance sure mm-hmm. now sure you can do inheritance in f-sharp but it pushes you more towards composition and actually by doing that it's pushing you into a good place that's interesting see you know now you get into a conversation about the evolution of object orientation as a whole i think we've really as much as we were told that inheritance was one of the pillars over right. and over again we see examples where actually using it is a mistake I think a lot of the use of inheritance was in the UI side. You know, they did really did a good job of, of leveraging inheritance with Windows Forms, which was the first sort of UI that we were dealing with, you know, where you have controls and then you have containers and all of that. But uh, I think, you know, we as object-oriented developers went to our business logic code and looked at that and said, ah, that's how I do business logic. Well, I'd, I'd even question whether we might have gone too far with the um, OO inside um, user interfaces as well. Mm-hmm. I, I work with um, Silverlight WPF um, daily, and when I press dot on a button, I get over 160 members. <laughs> and <Yeah>. that, <laughs> that just seems wrong. It's a button. Yeah. That's right. So they've, <laughs> they've actually, um, again, going back to IntelliSense, they fixed this um, in .NET um, 4.5 in, in uh, Visual Studio 2012 um, by allowing you to put in shortcuts so you can get more easily to the one of the 160 uh, members that you wanted to. But I think that's just kind of putting sellotape over a broken thing. You, you've got a button that's got nine levels of inheritance that doesn't feel right. Uh, uh, and if I sort of drill in, you, you press dot and you go down um, to font, and there's nine or ten members with the prefix with the word font. To me, does, doesn't that feel like you might have um, a button has a font? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that, that would be perhaps where I would drive with it. So I, I do wonder even um, whether UI and inheritance where we've just taken that that too far. Well, they did have the they do have in Visual Studio the 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 tab that lets you see the common members and then all members. Which, right. Which goes in where you don't really have any control over, I don't think. But uh, but you know that and that has been also a little bit more of annoyance because you know when I'm typing an IntelliSense and I type something that's in all and it's on common. Then I don't see it, and I'm thinking, where is it? I got bit by that once, so I just tend to leave it on all. 
Yeah, but you're right. You yeah. sort of have to know. You, it, using IntelliSense for discoverability is very difficult. Absolutely. Well, if if the objects were composed rather than using inheritance, I think we'd find it a lot easier. I when I'm writing, say, something for a GUI in F sharp, I, I find it pushing me to that composition. If I want to have a specialization of a button, then oh. I'll perhaps expose a clicked method. Um, I'll, I'll still be using a type, um, but I'll, instead of deriving from the control, I will expose the control. Well, this right? is probably the so, first time we've talked to anybody who's done UI and F sharp. So I, I would really like to talk about this a little bit more. You're talking about composition as opposed to inheritance. So just give us briefly a, a elevator pitch on the difference. Uh, well, so just on the, on the on the basics of yeah. it, um, yeah, inheritance is where you um, derive from a, a previous another class and you take all of its methods with it with you. Whereas composition, which sorry, which is what we would call an isa relationship, and composition is the hazard. So instead of um, that your new class having all of the uh, functions mingled in with your functions. You say you expose um, the the thing you're going to have. Um, so, so it's encapsulation, essentially. Yes, exactly. Um, it's oh, oh, right. I think um, uh, going back, the, the font is the example, uh, a really great example. So, uh, you could think of uh, doing a text box in some class that you want to derive from that has font capabilities. Uh, and you derive from it, you get all of those. Instead, you could compose it and say, I have a font property, and that has all of its uh, capabilities. For the end user, and for sanity's sake, uh, composition is often better because you can then say button.font and then look through those members. Right. You're not looking for font this, font that, font the other thing in the in the sure. in the top list. It's a little more hierarchical. Yeah, yeah. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik Just Decompile. Recent developments in the .NET world have opened up a niche for a free .NET decompiling tool. If you, like so many other developers, have been looking for an alternative .NET decompiler, you'll most certainly welcome the launch of Just Decompile a powerful tool which promises to stay free forever. Currently in beta, Just Decompile offers effortless .NET decompiling and assembly browsing, innovative code analysis and navigation, side-by-side assembly loading, auto-updating, and better decompiling accuracy. A product by leading .NET vendor Telerik, Just Decompile has an aggressive release schedule and a roadmap based on community feedback. You can visit the Just Decompile feature suggestion forum to let Telerik know what features you'd like to see added to Just Decompile or vote for one suggested by your peers. The official version launch is expected this summer, 2011. Go to telerik.com slash .NET decompiling and remember to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So now when you're developing UI in F-sharp, which, by the way, is just an awesome, fascinating topic to me because... As I said, I haven't really heard anybody doing this before. Um, you're you're using XAML, obviously, right? Because you're doing WPF, right? Um, so, 
We do all sorts of things. Uh, let's, um, let's start, say I'm doing a video game, and I do little video games mm-hmm. um, in Silverlight. You can have a look. You see those on my blog. Um, typically, I'll eschew um, XAML and just start moving those objects around directly. Um, so hitting canvases and so forth straight off because um, it's harder in XAML to get the, the feel I want or to just spawn up um, particles or aliens. You wouldn't design that in XAML. Um, so, so I'm already on the code side. Yeah. And um, in it, when I'm doing it that way, I can uh, just define my own types using uh, containment. So I'll, I'll have a type for a for a monster, a type for a particle, and then move those around. Now, one of the um, things that I'm, I, I win big when using uh, F Sharp is F Sharp has uh, an async capability, mm. which you will see in C Sharp five. But I've had that um, since 2007. Right. Um, that that feature has been in F sharp. It's not. It's more there than just the the async keyword capability. Uh, events are first class in F sharp, so I can um, pass events around. I can access them directly. So um, back in about 2006, F sharp had the I observable pan, which you have in Rx, mm-hmm. and um, there's a basic Reactive building frame. blocks for Rx um, style programming being built in for about seven years. Um, so I can just hook straight into events, listen to them asynchronously, and do work. Um, if I try, and, it's probably quite hard to, to to picture that. Let's say I want to wait until the user clicks on um, on the screen before I start the game. Mm. In F-sharp, all I need to do is say, in an async block, um, mouse.click, await for the observable to occur, um, and then uh, it will await, and then the next line down is the um, the thing that happens once that thing's been clicked. So literally, it's a single line of code. And it does, wait, and it does block, and it does wait. It, well, it, it blocks asynchronously, right? So we're not actually blocking the not UI blocking the now. thread. Yeah, yeah. And this has got nothing to do with parallelism per se. This is just asynchronous execution. Yeah, it allows me. Um, so I've been writing video games since I was like um, eleven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it allows me to write <laughs> games as if it was um, as if they were synchronous, mm-hmm. as if I was back in the eighties. <laughs> and I just had one thread to worry about. Right. Um, so it's really simple and easy to reason about. And what actually happens is the compiler turns that all into an async block, does all of the continuations, all of that crazy stuff that would be hard to debug. Uh, the compiler does that for me. Uh, and all I need to do is just write my game. So can you imagine you have a game where you've got multiple mouse inputs and keyboard things to move things around. Let's say you're just moving a guy around on the screen with a keyboard. Now, you if you did that in event handlers, you know, for mouse move or, you know, mouse, uh, I'm sorry, mouse uh, mouse clicks and keyboard presses, you you lose the you you lose the the context of the game just to be able to handle the event. So, 
what you're doing there is you're probably in a loop, I imagine, or you have several different async methods that are each in a loop handling different things. Uh, so um, my first um, example was probably, it was really good for pausing the screen for a start. Uh, for, for before you start, when you're writing uh, a game, it would take mouse and keyboard input. Mm. You actually, it's back to the 80s again. <laughs> uh, and um, what we did then is you have like another uh, process listening to those events, and um, you have an independent game loop, and that will sample what keys have been pressed since the last frame, the last sort of update of the screen. So um, that that makes it very easy to reason about. So if you've pressed two keys um, up and left, then we'll we'll take that sample when the update comes, and we'll also sample the mouse at that point. Uh, so yeah. uh, it, it, for that particular one, um, C sharp or F sharp would be. There's no real win for functional. Uh, but if you're if you're doing say a um, a drag, so you want to sort of create a rectangle. You you have almost a state machine where you start with the mouse left down. Um, then the next state is the mouse watching for the mouse moving, creating a rectangle, and then finally um, the mouse release. Um, uh, that is a really good fit for functional programming for F sharp hmm. because you can model each of those elements of the state machine asynchronously with the event passing. Um, There's an example on my blog where you can um, zoom through into a Mandelbrot set uh, using a, a rectangle and uses like about five lines of code to, to draw the rectangle. Awesome. So you, you've, you've been describing stuff that's heavily in the code. How does, uh, how does XAML fit into F-sharp? Uh, I mean, I know how it fits in, but are there any particular challenges Accessing XAML, you mentioned something about it's kind of difficult to to find the right, uh, you know, to to walk the tree, as it were. Sure. Uh, yeah, it has been. Um, so with um, C sharp, you have code generation. We can do that in F sharp, but it's something that we we generally try and avoid. Um, so typically, you would create a C sharp project and hold the XAML there. And then write your view models from F sharp. Uh, with the new F sharp uh, type providers in F sharp three, there's actually a type provider for XAML, so you can um, walk through the um, the XAML tree uh, really easily. And as you update it, it will update the type provider. So that's pretty cool. So it, you're getting kind of equality with C sharp there, uh, but through a different direction. Hmm. I just never think about F sharp from a UI perspective. So um, I think it's not something F sharp's been pushing hard. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you imagine where where are the multi core machines? They're on our desktops. Yes. Mm. And well, what is it that that's complicated uh, now for modern UI is trying to deal with multiple things happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Uh, and perhaps to some extent more so than on a server application. And with uh, F-sharp, with its immutability, its safety and concurrency, its uh, concurrency operation, you've actually got something very, very powerful. 
uh, that can reduce a lot of those those errors. So, for example, um, on a, the trading screen we're doing at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, we're using C sharp and F sharp, and um, we do C sharp a lot um, for the XAML based side of things. Um, but we do find a lot of null errors coming out of the C sharp code from um, the state changing, mutating, and um, changing to null, and, and the code is scattered with null checks. Hmm. And that's just something we don't experience in the F-sharp code. So it'd be nice to, to be in that position where a lot of your errors are just removed by by your compiler. Yeah. Well, Richard, you know what time it is. Well, it must be that happy time again. It's time to give away stuff. Ooh, to what do we got to give away today, my friend? Well, today we're giving away what we give away most every show, which is a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection and one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, of which there are thousands now, mm-hmm. uh, is going to win this. And we picked uh, the name at random. Today's winner is Richard Newman. Ah, congratulations, Richard. Golf, golf clap for golf you, Golf clap sir. for Richard. Very nice. And uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com and click on the big Get Free Stuff button. We give away uh, a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection in every show. When we have other things to give away, like conference tickets or uh, other stuff and swag and vendor stuff, we give it away as well. And every December, starting this December, we're going to give away $5,000 worth of technology, handpicked by Richard the Toy Boy and me. So you want to get on that. Come and sign up. It's easy, it's painless, and you win free stuff. What more could you ask for? That's right. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. Nice. <laughs> hey, Phil, I'm just looking at Twitter. There's sort of a dialogue going on about F-sharp as well. And one of the points that came up from Rob Bazinet was this, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, that F-sharp really falls in with a group of other languages like Scala and Haskell and, and even Clojure, although maybe not quite the same league. Do you play with these other languages? Do you see them as part of the landscape here? How do they fit together? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's a lot of um, similarities between F-sharp and Scala particularly, mm-hmm. um, sort of um, between those alternative functional languages or functional first languages uh, on the JVM and on .NET. And so when I'm going to um, some of the sort of more functional orientated conferences, we'll be seeing um, the grouping being F-sharp, Scala, Clojure, Erlang, and and some Haskell. Mm -hmm. So um, there's definitely a, a community of people who... Uh, do functional, functional first programming. So the reason, um, I'm using the term functional first is something, uh, Don mentioned, Don Syme, mm-hmm. uh, mentioned a while back, um, is that languages like Scala and F sharp are not purely functional languages. Right. They have that OO capability, but the defaults are functional. And, and so you start with functional. And what you might find is that your program later on, you go from having maybe one function, you decide to add a type, a class around it, and you build that way. But you start with the simplest possible thing that works and build out from there. Well, and so there, in that sense, it's the, the uh, opposition with C-sharp, where C-sharp tends to be object 
uh, yeah. first and functional can be done. And so the F sharp is functional first and object can be done. Yeah, I think it's a really good way of um, seeing, thinking about it. Sure. And, and then, of course, since they all live on the CLR, you can write them together however you want. Yeah, absolutely. As I was alluding to earlier, uh, the application I'm working on at the moment is a mixture of C-sharp and F-sharp. Mm-hmm. We're trying to play to each his strengths. Do you ever have any um, sort of incongruent uh, connections between the two? Any, you know, where it seems like you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole? <laughs> um, actually, integration um, with F-sharp 2 between C-sharp and F-sharp is pretty seamless. Uh, the When you consume C-sharp code uh, from F-sharp, most of the time that's pretty easy. Um, again, you have to watch out for those null values coming right. in from C-sharp. Um, from the F-sharp to C-sharp side, because there's um, certain data structures that are F-sharp specific, so there's like immutable lists, sets, uh, mm-hmm. the option type we mentioned before, yeah. you have to be careful not to expose those o- in your API to C-sharp because they look pretty crazy over on the C-sharp side. So you need a little bit of discipline there. But uh, that's just about writing clear APIs. I think the, the thing that we find working as a team, switching between um, C-sharp and F-sharp quite regularly is just basic things like forgetting to put semicolons when we go back to C-sharp <laughs> or nice. putting, putting them on the end when we go back to F-sharp. <laughs> well, and I think most developers prefer to code in a single language. I know we've always been able to mix languages, but there's just never been a lot of incentive to do that. Right. Um, so not everybody, I think, um, is on the team, uh, works on F-sharp right. day-to-day. Um, most of us um, are, are rabid F-sharp fans, but um, we don't, we haven't been uh, excluding anybody, particularly with F-sharp, mm-hmm. because it's just another .NET language, so you can consume it um, like a library. Can you point to some really uh, high-profile projects that are using F-sharp that might impress our audience? Um, sure. Um, so, well, the project I'm working on is um, for a company called Trayport. It's a screen called Jewel. And if you go to trayport.com, you can see that. And that's a very um, pretty trading screen. Uh, Credit Suisse um, are using it for... Um, some of their work. Uh, I'm just kind of going through things uh, that I've been involved with uh, myself now. Mm. One of the first uh, chances I uh, had to work with F-Sharp was working on the Halo 3 project on Xbox 360. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, a good start. <laughs> I've heard point. of that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I managed to sneak into the... Um, uh, the the programmer list in the back there. So what did you use F-sharp for in Halo 3? Right, so um, we were doing, working on the uh, matchmaking for the uh, network game, mm-hmm. and uh, that requires a lot of data analysis. So uh, we use the F-sharp for the data munging to get the right parameters for the skill progression. 
And uh, that was really important for, for the game playability point of view, that people ha- ideally would win half the time. Huh. Um, so, so we needed really good matches. So the learning had to be pretty good. Um, we used a machine learning algorithm. We actually ran the, all of the uh, outcomes of the Halo 2 game through massive batches of parameters uh, over about two weeks, over 15 machines. Oh, man. To process those values out. That is and, so uh, cool. F-Sharp was a great tool for that. We used uh, F-Sharp for shaping the parameters graphically. And we used F-Sharp for the math as well. Awesome. And it always seems when folks talk, I think people want to put F-Sharp in a box to sort of say, this is what F-Sharp is for. But you never see them do that with C-Sharp. C-Sharp is just for programming. F-Sharp, I got to say, you just did it there, right? F-Sharp was for the math. Yep. Because clearly that's something it's strong at, but it sounds like it should just be for programming. Absolutely. So... Not only were we doing the math, we were doing uh, the, the visualization. So we could plot the curve in F-sharp and then uh, move the curve around with the mouse and then run the outcomes over the grid. Graphics. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I had real-time histograms as the, um, as the data came back through the algorithm. You could see how the outcomes were going. Oh, yeah. So you want to try and get a fairly flat histogram. So we could fairly quickly early out on a particular parameter set and shoot, yeah. tune it a bit. So, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread. But now, of course, it's Component1Spread.net. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.net and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Component1. Smarter components for smarter developers. I imagine doing any kind of real-time analysis graphing of data would be a really, really great use for F-sharp. Sure. Yeah. Uh, there is actually a couple of um, video games written with F-sharp in the Xbox Live Store. Hmm. Um, I think the, the more famous is the Path of Go. The what? Uh, Path of Go, which is um, the Chinese board game. Oh, yeah. Go. And the AI for that was written in uh, F-sharp. Wow. And uh, a lot of the plumbing code in C-sharp. Wow. Cool. And it's a, it's a beautiful game. And you, you obviously you can see or guess that uh, a game like Go, is, it's a pretty sophisticated AI. And again, a good match for powerful functional language. I wrote a version of Pente, you know, which is... It's it's you know it's played on a grid with uh, stones, and the right. idea is that uh, you want to get five in a row or capture five pairs. So it's a simple idea, but then you know it gets very complex when you put a lot of stones and there's a lot of ways to look at it. But I did write I I do remember writing this, 
and uh, it was fun. But you know the the key is to you know it's easy for the computer to win. <laughs> it's easy to write something that wins all the time. It's not so easy to write something that you know doesn't win all the time. <laughs> well, it actually goes is really tricky um, because the um, complexity of the large board means that um, the humans are still winning. We we don't have a a computer go that that would beat the grandmaster. I don't think yet. So it's it's one of the few board games that has not yet been sold. Wow. So it, it's an interesting, definitely an interesting problem. Well, and, and to your point, Carl, it's the challenge is building an AI of multiple skill levels. Yeah. Right. It's like, can you make an easy one, a medium one, a hard one? It's it's just not that hard to be, build one that will just clobber at you every time. Yeah. Unless the problem, like the Go problem, is so complex that y- you're just going to bury the machine trying to compute its way out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what they did um, with Go was to uh, the, the most common uh, way of doing it these days is to run Monte Carlo simulation. Right, and and how long you run it is sort of what the yeah. the the intelligence level is. I think so. Yeah, that that would be how I'd go for it. So Which, you need some element of randomness, so he doesn't always win. Well, yeah, it's sort of like <laughs> I, I try to figure out the best path for only a microsecond. Here's what it looks like. Okay, I try to figure out the best path yeah. for two seconds. Here's what it looks like. I try to figure out the best path for ten seconds. Here's what it looks like. Uh, yeah. So they did spend. Uh, if you look at the game on Xbox Live, they did spend a lot of time um, on the training part. Mm-hmm. So teaching you how to play Go and giving you some early victories <laughs> <laughs> before we kick your butt <laughs> we'll lull you into a full yeah. sense of security yeah. uh I, I do want to jump a little bit back uh right. to the some of the earlier conversation points and one of them was just you know talking about f sharp uh, three as a whole uh apparently there's a list of breaking changes in f sharp three are you, do, have you run into some breaking change problems when you there upgrade? are some small behavioral changes um I think the the one I found early on uh so f sharp's got a pretty limited um set of project types it's not which ship with visual studio mm-hmm. and um the community have uh produced online uh project types so like silverlight w p f that kind of thing when okay. you seven um, so what I found was when I was moving my uh, projects over, I needed to reference the uh, the newer DLLs. Uh, but that was pretty easy. It was just delete the F-sharp core DLL and then uh, reference the new one. Um, but I, I have heard of, there's been a few minor behavioral changes. I think they're mostly for the good. Yeah, it's interesting that the formatting matters in F-sharp as much as it does. Yeah, actually, um, when I first started working in F-sharp, um, the light syntax wasn't there, mm-hmm. and I had to type it uh, in ML style. And that's still available if you if you prefer. But um, actually, the, the formatting as is in a more Python style mm-hmm. with the white space, you, you get used to it pretty quickly. And it does make for a really pretty terse code. Right. Overall, very much a positive move. 
Although with the symbology, like it's not that easy code to read. You do have to think a lot about what's going on in there. There, there is an element where you you are able to express quite a lot in a short mm-hmm. space of time, where you might be used to panning over two pages to see uh, what something does. Here, you might have the same thing expressed in three or four lines. Yeah. So you just have to be get more used to the, that experience. You also have to study those lines. Like they, this is not yeah. just do 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 do. Off you go. You really have to think about how will this execute. What does it really look like? Although I'm finding that if, as I'm looking at async code in general, right? It's just you have to look at it longer. You have to really think about what that meant. Absolutely. It's very thoughtful, you know, or at least thought straining code to to really get your head around uh, the async code. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's still uh, a lot of bombs waiting to explode. There for you. <laughs> it's just one little keyword. Why is it causing so much trouble? Uh, unless you're <laughs> Phil Trelford or Don Sign, you know, then you probably just you you pro- imagine you probably get to a place where you can pretty easily determine what's going on without having to cock your head to the side. Well, I do like if you're doing async in F sharp. The nice thing is. The immutability by default means that you're less chance of hurting yourself badly. Right. Um, when you've got, when you're mutating objects and you've got asynchronous operations happening, it may work 99% of the time. And then it gets out in the field, bang. Um, with the immutability, you've got much more confidence when you press F5, it's going to work. Uh, that, that's what most people, most, most people who move into F sharp. Well, I like declarative mutability. That just feels good to me. It's like, yeah. all right, this is going to be mutable because I said so. So it's, it, it, is, it, it does put you into a different style. And again, so not just the mu- mutation, but uh, you're not going to go bang on a null. Um, so it, it, it's gonna, it is a different, what, different feeling uh, in C-sharp and F-sharp. I think F-sharp does make it a lot safer and more relaxing. <laughs> Has there been many changes in the mutability behavior for uh, version 3? Uh, no, um, there's one change um, which is a little bit obscure. Um, the record types in F-sharp are immutable by default, mm-hmm. and they provide a really beautiful syntax for creating POCO objects. Um, because they've been immutable by default, they don't work really well with things like serialization. Right. Um, because that needs a default constructor and setters. So what I've done is you can put a an attribute over um, the the record which says CLI mutable. What that does is it makes it mutable to dot net to C sharp code. Interesting. But but while you're in F sharp code it remains immutable. Hmm. Which means so so it means you can do serialization. But you can still have all of your safety in in your own code area. That makes so much sense because the reason you want it immutable is because when you're passing data around from function to function to function, things happen threading-wise. And exactly. uh, you don't want collisions while you're using it there. But, of course, it, you, you want to do something on it while it's not going through that process. You can yeah, pass it out to C-sharp. You want to send it over the wire. You want to do something like yeah. that. Brilliant. Serialize it to the disk. Yeah, brilliant. 
All right, Phil, I got to call you out here now. Why aren't you just saying it like it should be? At F-sharp 3, we're now ready to just build our whole apps in F-sharp. We don't need other languages anymore. <laughs> wow. So that's, uh, I think you're finding um, a bunch of teams who are doing it that way. So I've met um, teams in London mm-hmm. doing financial software and in New York as well. And they're, they're F-sharp all the way down. F-sharp top think, to bottom. Even in XAML? The UI yeah. stuff? Yeah. So the Credit Suisse team, they, they had a talk at uh, the GoTo conference in Copenhagen recently, and they talked about how they created a WPF app in, um, in F-sharp, pure F-sharp. Um, so you, you're definitely seeing that um, financial, technical areas. There's no reason um, technically that you shouldn't do that. Now, you're also seeing that with people going from Java to Scala and then just or Clojure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're seeing large numbers of people moving over and doing their software in just that environment. Uh, I think there's definitely... It can be done. It's been proven. I think there's another side as well. Um, we do some of our components will be just done in F sharp, so a, a distinct library. Right. And other parts will do in C sharp. And I, I, for me, it's more a case by case. Yeah. If we've got something that that can seriously win in F sharp, why not? And, and what's the win? Is it performance? So it's you know, well, fewer lines of code? I think where F-sharp wins is, is, is in slaying complexity. Mm-hmm. So something that, that might end up being lots of lines of code and really quite hard to reason about might be very easy to express in F-sharp. Hmm. And in that kind of area, um, well, it, it's got, you've got a really strong case. So, for example, if you're running some sort of calculation engine for financial products or you're dealing with a heavily concurrent system or, uh, for example, in our products, if you have quite a complex domain that you'd want to model, actually we, we leverage F-sharp's OO capabilities there and we can, we can model that domain in a few pages as opposed to hundreds of classes spread across hundreds of files. Hmm. Um, but equally, let's say I um, have people who are really talented at uh, expression blend, at making um, really cute UIs. Mm-hmm. How many of those are going to be functional programs? Yeah. Not- so we want to play to everybody's strengths. Sure. And, um, you don't put a mathematician on on uh, UI work all the time. I'm sure that you do sometimes and, and vice versa. Um, are there, uh, I mean, Don Syme is like an amazing person there, but there's a long history of functional programming languages. Um, has F-sharp gotten praise from some of the luminaries in that field? Absolutely, yeah. Um, Simon Thompson is uh, one of the guys, he, he does a lot of Erlang programming, but he wrote, um, some of the early books on Haskell and Miranda and uh, my friend Thomas Petrichek has said that he's, he's had a lot has a lot of respect for what F-sharp does and what it's doing mm. um, and 
there's been a lot of uh, embrace with F Sharp and Academia as well. Um, so we're actually seeing books now um, for undergraduates in F Sharp and uh, people basing um, undergraduate course, um, computer science courses on the F Sharp language. I think it's a really positive step for the future. That is so good to hear. I mean, one of the problems Microsoft has had is getting into academia in general, and everything has been Java, Java, Java in, in the colleges for so many years. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's healthier to have a, a more broad range of programming mm -hmm. languages. Sure. Um, I remember doing Miranda, which is the pre-runner to Haskell, and it, it's a really, really interesting language, and we also did C++. Yeah. There's no reason uh, not to do both, and with the growth of functional programming in the JVM and .NET world, it's, uh, it's something that, that you see really there in the future for everybody. Does, does F-sharp marry well to web development? Yeah, I, I'm not. I've done a lot of web development myself um, recently. But um, from like a service point of view, you've got you know all the, the things we've been talking about, the uh, domain modeling, concurrency, and so forth. There are frameworks um, for generating JavaScript directly from F-sharp code. Ooh. Uh, there's a commercial one, uh, which is open source, called WebSharper. There's a number of um, open source alternatives pure open source alternatives as well, um, like PIT. And it's kind of interesting because you can write your F-sharp code and then you can decide where you want it to be run. And you can actually run it on the server and the client. Hmm. So you, you could have some validation code that you need to run at both ends. And there's no need to, to, to write it in two languages. Or if you decide to run you were running the validation on the client, and then you decided to be more secure to run it in the server. Hmm. No problem. Yeah, I can. I can see a. I can see a scenario where somebody, you know, like the Shazam scenario, where you hold up your your phone to uh, a speaker, you know, where you're hearing a song, and then it sends that off to a server somewhere and does some sophisticated analysis on it and comes back with, "Oh, you're listening to, you know." Born to be wild, you know. Well, so you know that kind of thing where you're shipping data off remotely to some powerhouse of a server that does its processing and gives you an answer as quickly as possible. Speech recognition, I can imagine. Um, that yeah. kind of thing. And uh, I mean, uh, I guess this is why things like CoffeeScript pop there as well. With F Sharp, you can write in your type safe environment with IntelliSense, and um, then you just spit out the code into JavaScript, so it becomes more like assembler. <laughs> you, so, you dropped yeah, the A bomb on us there, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> assembler. Oh man! <laughs> I spent ten years writing assembler <laughs> video games. I don't know that you could program an assembler anymore. If I, if I memory see management's it. so different, the, yeah. you know the 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 context switching. I, it, I remember the last time I looked at it was when we were going to go above uh, uh, a meg of memory in right. in the eighty eighty six time frame, right? Like just that when we were start going to start doing the memory window shifting is what I looked at. When 
I am not smart enough to do this Baby anymore. segments and extra segments. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. are you kidding? Friends me? don't let friends push and pop. Let's just <laughs> leave it at that. Well, I have stories. <laughs> hey, before we go, I want to call out the F Sharp 3.0 sample pack on Codeplex, F Sharp 3 sample.codeplex.com. Um, it's basically just a lot of great uh, samples of using F Sharp 3, including a lot of link syntax and uh, over SQL data providers and no data service providers. And the basic stuff as well. Also, um, are there any other uh, sites that are chock-a-block full of great tutorials and samples? And you know, for the for someone who wants to finally, you know, who's convinced and listening to you for the last hour, okay, I'm going to do it. Where do I start? I, 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 the F sharp um, sample pack is is awesome, Coplex, and actually because because it's F sharp as part of Visual Studio. MSDN is just a great place to start. Just yeah. uh, go onto MSDN, type providers, and they've got a bunch of samples from SQL Server to OData uh, to web services waiting there for you. That's, awesome. That's fantastic. Phil, thank you so much for talking to us. It's been, it's been wonderful. Cheers. No, it's been great. Fun. Thanks. All right. We'll see you next time on Show 800. <laughs> .NET Rocks. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember... Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter van.